Here's what's ahead of us on Abounding Grace. Trials reveal what's inside of you. They don't create what's inside of you. So you go through a trial and you're greatly disappointed in how you responded and then you begin to blame it on the trial. Well, you know what? If you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have. No, 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 that's not. That's been in you all along. And through the trial, through the hot water of life, if you will, God's being gracious to you to reveal yourself, to reveal what's inside of you to yourself. This is amazing grace. Just because your father is the pastor of a church and you grew up in the church and even now go to church doesn't mean you're right with God. Today on Abounding Grace, we're reminded of that as we go to 1 Samuel 2. Eli, the high priest, had some boys who were corrupt, stole from the Lord, and stumbled people by the way they lived. While they worked in the tabernacle, they were far from the Lord. We'll take a look at their lives today, contrasting them with Hannah's life of faith. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. In Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Psalm 94, verse 18 says, I cried out, I'm slipping. And your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Turn over now to Psalm 121. Let's read this one together. Psalm 121. Just so encouraged by Hannah's prayer. Psalm 121. It's beautiful. This is such a beautiful psalm. The Lord's given it to you tonight as a gift. It's a word spoken to you. It's a prophetic word, a word of prophecy into your heart. It's an answer to your prayer. You've been wondering about a situation in your life. And today the Lord has given you the answer. Psalm 121, verse 1. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. Now notice what the psalmist says. The psalmist is in 100% agreement with Hannah. Because Hannah is praying from the sovereignty of God and to the sovereignty of God, saying the same exact thing as, as the psalmist. And now the psalmist says, my help comes from the Lord. Why? Because he made heaven and earth. He's the creator. He's the sovereign one. And notice the promise, verse 3. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, who he, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And so what happens in our life? We go through a dark time. We go through a valley, a shadow of death, whatever. And we're like, my feet's slipping. No, he's not going to allow that. It's just, a, Lord, you, have you fallen asleep? Nope, I'm wide awake. You know, I could even hear God answer, you know, even when you fall asleep, I'm awake. It's not that I fall. God, it's not if I fell asleep, you fell asleep. He says, because I don't fall asleep. Isn't it great the world continues on, spins around while you're sound asleep? I'll just 
is there to take care of you and encourage you. I know things get tough, but that's what happens in a sin-fallen world. He doesn't slumber or sleep. The Lord, verse 5, is your keeper. He's your shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you or keep you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. See, we so often apply this in the temporary, and while God does give us temporary protection, remember in verse 7, he's in this Hebrew poetry, a lot of times verses in our poetry, and then Psalms, by the way, is Hebrew poetry. It's written in the Hebrew, and, it's, and the major emphasis in Hebrew poetry is twofold. Comparison and kind of building a case and also contrast. And so you see that when you see it in the Proverbs and you see it a lot in the Psalms. And so you're building a case. Sometimes it's comparison and building, you know, going from one thing, kind of a stair-stepping, moving up and getting greater and greater and greater. And other times it's contrast. And that, so what he's doing is you shall be preserved from all evil and he's going to preserve your soul because that's ultimately what he's promised you is eternal life. He'll preserve your going out, verse 8, and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Just, you know, Hannah's another picture of Mary because you remember Mary in Luke's gospel. She's praying the same way, just exalting in the faithfulness of God. You would do well, church, to add that to your prayer life. Of all the requests that we have, and we do have many, and all the things that we're crying out to God for help and interceding for people and just really wanting things to change in our country or in our home or in our family, we would do well in our own hearts, not only to minister to the Lord, but also to our own soul as you just exalt in the sovereignty of God. What a doctrine to embrace because that's who God is. And now you can see, by the time we get to the end of this section here, of the kind of character that Hannah had. And the kind of character that Hannah had. You know what happens when you go through a trial? Because Hannah, that's the context of Hannah. She went through a horrendous trial after trial after trial. Just boom, 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 boom. You know what happens when you go through a trial? Your character is revealed. I know you're not always happy with what's revealed, but at least you know. Sometimes you're really happy. And I think somebody said it this way, you know, you, you, you don't know what's in, the, what's in the tea bag until you pour in the hot water and then you immediately find out is it chamomile is it whatever kind of tea I don't know you know what kind of tea it is is it the sleepy time you know one time in our church we were serving sleepy time tea (laughs) whose idea was that before service (laughs) like half the church was like oh you guys had the sleepy time tea didn't you so you won't know what kind of tea it is until you pour the hot water in remember this in your life remember this Trials reveal what's inside of you. They don't create what's inside of you. So you go through a trial and you're greatly disappointed in how you responded and then you begin to blame it on the trial. Well, you know what? If you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have. No, 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 that's not. That's been in you all along. And through the trial, through the hot water of life, if you will, God's being gracious to you to reveal yourself, to reveal what's inside of you to yourself. Be careful to, you know, I wouldn't have never done that. I would have never done that. And, you know, you're, you know, it's a little creedic, uh, you know, how about you're out in the garage working with a hammer, blah, 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 and you bam, and then all of this stuff, blah, and the words that you haven't said in years, 
And then, you know, somebody comes out, well, what are you doing? What's that? Where'd that come from? Man, if I wouldn't have hit my thumb, that would have never come out. No, that's not true. That stuff has been in you, and it's been in you, and it was that episode of accidentally or the sovereignty of God. You were going to hit the nail, and then God just went, boop, pushed the hammer just a little bit, and bam, to say, you know what? God, you're right. It wasn't hitting my thumb. That just revealed to me what was in me. And one of the things you're looking for is your character. Your character. When we see in Hannah, what a depth of character this woman had. I'm envious of it. I desire it. I want to be able to endure and then come out with a prayer like this and go, oh man, your sovereignty, God, your goodness. But verse 11 is a great contrast, isn't it? The spiritual climate of Israel and his leadership is at rock bottom. Hannah has just given birth to Samuel, dedicated him to the Lord, dropped him off at the temple, prayed a prayer of great goodness and and just incredible strength. And then in verse 11, it says, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest, and now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They didn't know the Lord. Samuel ministers to the Lord before Eli the priest, but Eli's son, sons were corrupt and didn't know the Lord. Can you imagine that? That the pulpits of churches and the leadership of churches don't know the Lord? Well, it's happening in our day. It's not unusual. It's not unusual where talent will be elevated above, above character. It's not unusual that things will be overlooked because that person has some connections in the world. So let's put him in a leadership position in the church. It's not unusual that even through familial relationships within churches, that kids that don't have a walk with the Lord would be given positions of of leadership in the church and then find themselves in a place of corrupting those that were coming to worship God. Even though Eli, I believe, did know the Lord, that knowledge and intimacy didn't get passed down to the kids very well, and it definitely didn't get passed down through the bloodline. Parents understand this. You declare yourself a Christian home, and you have children born into a Christian home, but if you don't know the Lord, your kids aren't going to get it because you're not going to disciple your kids. We have an obligation, don't we, parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, and even adoptive parents and relate, you know, we have those influence, school teachers, anyone influencing, we have a responsibility and we have a duty to prepare our kids for heaven, not for hell. Not to just let them go off on their own and, you know, we just kind of, it, it's just always, uh, you know, it's kind of the cool thing today, you know, talking about spiritual things and you'll hear a parent, you know, interviewed, you know, we just kind of let our kids figure it out. Yeah. You have an obligation to train your kids in the ways of the Lord. And when they're old, they won't depart. You know, they may, the bloodline doesn't do it. Just because they're born in your, you have to be intentional in discipling your kids. You got to spend the time investing in your children's lives no matter. And, and let me just say this, your kids are always your kids. I don't care how old they are. And even if they're 50 years old, they're still your baby. So disciple them, speak into their lives. Of course, it's different as they get older. You want to respect them as an adult. You want to respect them uh, in their own life. But you still have a voice in their life that no one else has. 
And it does no good to our children to think that they're going to live on mom and dad's faith. We can't just assume that they're going to follow in our footsteps. And that's what happened with Eli. This guy is a pastor. If you, you know, equating today, he's a priest uh, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. But today we would equate that with a pastor or a spiritual leader. And this is just as sad. The sons of Eli were corrupt. And actually the translation is they were sons of Baal. They were sons of the devil. And they were corrupt. They didn't know the Lord. And notice this, verse 13. The priest's customs with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice... And the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. And the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up so that they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred or despised the offering of the Lord. When sacrifices were brought to the temple or to the tabernacle, a portion was given to God and a portion to the priest and a portion to the one bringing it to keep. And according to the law in Exodus chapter 29, the portion for the priest was to be from the breast and the shoulder, but somewhere along the way they changed it. Now it was bad enough for this to have been changed from what the law dictated in Exodus, but even worse, the sons of Eli went selfishly beyond that in the name of the Lord. They took what they wanted, when they wanted it, taking even from the Lord. And because of their ungodly lifestyle, their unrighteous attitudes, they were grabbing for themselves and enriching themselves from the ministry, taking advantage of the people. And what they did actually caused the people to hate to come to sacrifice because they were going to get ripped off. And they didn't want to come to get ripped off. They didn't want to have to go through these things. Jesus deals with this many years later by flipping through the temple and turning the tables over, taking advantage. And it was a grievous sin. Now, it is sad when the men who are supposedly men of God, ministers of God, use their positions to enrich themselves and make sort of a, sh- make, make a shame of the ministry because they take from the people instead of give to the people. And what it does is it causes people to blaspheme God and turn their backs on God. Eli's sons were clearly out for themselves, ripping the people off even in the process of their sacrifice. It was on the dark backdrop of that sin that the little boy Samuel began to serve the Lord faithfully in the temple. I'm greatly encouraged that even surrounded by poor spiritual leadership, God's going to protect Samuel. God's going to take care of little Samuel. He's going to grow into a godly man and stand for righteousness on behalf of God. This would be a little scary if it was your kid, don't you think? I don't know how long you would stay in a congregation if Eli, if I represented Eli and I was all messed up and then my kids were all corrupt and they were ripping you off and all you don't have to do is, I don't know how long, I know you guys are well studied, I know you love the Lord and I know you're, you're students of the word, I don't think you'd stay, I think this place would empty out, quite frankly. But you see, the children of Israel didn't have a choice. And for many of them, they thought this is what it's done, this is how it's done. You're ripping me off. It doesn't feel good, but I guess you're doing it in the name of God, so I guess it's okay. And, and the people that God had 
trusted and appointed to the ministry took advantage of the people. And I just want you to know, if you serve here at Calvary, don't take advantage of the people. And if you're coming here in Calvary Chapel, just a group of people that love Jesus, and you're just kind of hanging out, and you go, you know, I love to go to big churches so I can take advantage of people. Don't take advantage of anybody here. You're just among a group of people that wants to serve the Lord. They just are genuine and wanting to, to give themselves. So please don't take advantage. You know why? Because God will root you out. He'll reveal you. You won't hide here. Don't take advantage of God's people, leaders. Don't take advantage of God's people, people. Let's just serve the Lord together. Let's develop genuine giving hearts. Let's serve one another. Let's give preference to one another like the Bible says. Because see verse 18, there's that but. You got all this nastiness going, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child wearing this linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was lent to the Lord. Isn't that true for our kids? Our kids, whether they get dropped off at the temple or not, they don't belong to us. They're loaned to us. They're given to us. And we get to raise them. But they belong to the Lord. And says, um, you know, thank the Lord give you the descendants from this woman for the loan that was lent to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons, two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. It reminds us what Jesus, what was spoken of little Jesus, where he grew in stature and favor before man and before God. And so this loan right here, it's speaking of the loan, you know, that Hannah says, here, I give him to you, but also really in totality, our children belong. So it goes both ways. Not only, you know, we give them to the Lord, but also God allows us to be entrusted with the children and the families uh, that we have. And so Samuel ministered and grew, ministered and grew. Roll that little, and, and isn't it a sweet thing? Isn't it a sweet thing though? Can you see Hannah just putting everything together, just thinking about, I'm going to bless little Samuel. I miss him so much, but he's serving the Lord. He's going to be okay. I'm going to get to see him maybe with the yearly sacrifice. And so I'm going to make something for him by faith and, and, and just bless him. That linen ephod, speaking of the ministry that he was entering into as well, I mean, it's really beautiful. It's a beautiful thing what God is doing in Hannah's life. It's, oh, but if, if we weren't, if, if, if we were the forgetful kind, I think by the time we get to this place in chapter 2, most of us would forget about chapter 1. God has just been so good to her, overwhelming her with his mercy and his grace and his blessing. It's beautiful. Well, it's not so beautiful beginning in verse 22. Now, Eli was very old. And he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. That's a nice way of saying they were having sex with women in the church, in the, in the temple, in the, in the place of meeting. They were fornicating. The leaders of the church. And he said to them, Why do, do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. Verse 25. If one man sins against another, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. 
And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and, the, and men. He's totally not affected by this. He is completely covered and protected by God. But these guys, you know, Eli is old. His sons are having sex in the tabernacle. All he did was talk to them, but no discipline. There's a scripture. I want you to jot it down because we're almost out of time. But jot this down. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 19. You see, it's not enough just to tell your kids. It's not enough just to say you're doing the wrong thing. There must be discipline. There must be discipline. Now, discipline is not, not just some kind of corporal punishment or spanking. Just set that aside for a second. Discipline is training. And sometimes in training our kids, there needs to be a lesson that where, where we associate sin with pain. And the one thing that Eli didn't do here, he told them what they were doing wrong, but he had the authority to remove them. And he didn't do it. Listen to this, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 19. For a servant, mere words are not enough. Discipline is needed. For the words may be understood, but they are not heeded. Discipline must accompany words. And, of course, there's a variety of methods of discipline to help train our kids to obey the Lord because they need to learn how to obey God before they obey their parents. And it's intertwined as they learn how to obey their parents and obey authorities and obey school teachers and obey the law of the land and the police officers and, and, and just learn a life of submission. I'm very disappointed in Eli. He's a great failure as a dad. As a spiritual dad. And if Eli wouldn't do it, God will do it. And that's what the end of verse 25, he desired. They're, they're going to they're gonna pay for their sin. I'm glad God doesn't do that now, but in the New Testament with Ananias and Sapphira, God took care of them too. So I think God is serious about sin in his house. These evil men would die prematurely. Samuel, on the other hand, just kept growing in the Lord. He not only found favor in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. You know, our kids, in the culture that we live in, our kids sometimes fear that if they stand for the Lord and walk with them, they'll be put down or they'll be left out. They'll be ostracized. And that's not entirely true. Yes, there will be a certain degree of persecution for our kids when they take a stand for righteousness in a very unrighteous world. Yes, there will be. There'll be a certain amount of persecution. We, we, we need to comfort them and encourage them, but not try to protect them from that. You take a stand for the Lord, of course people are going to call you. Of course people are going to call you names. Of course things are going to happen. Of course you'll be made fun of. That, that's the way it is. The Bible says, Blessed is that man, Psalm 1, who walks not, who, who doesn't walk with the ungodly, who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and whatever he does will prosper. You see, if we don't teach our kids at a young age to stand for what is right, no matter what the cost is, they're going to become adults who don't stand for what is right, no matter what the cost is. Well, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going through 1 Samuel right now. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we're also on OnePlace.com and have a podcast, too. 
At the turn of the year, many of us have some resolutions to break a stubborn habit or two. Maybe it's a tendency to worry, drink alcohol, lust, or curse. And perhaps you're finding it very difficult to break. Well, we've got a helpful book to share with you from Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. As the name of the title would suggest, this book will help you shake that nasty habit. And we'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for How to Break a Stubborn Habit. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners, and as we deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. We hope you can visit us sometime soon. Here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, we meet for worship Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 8.45 and again 10.45 in the morning. Catch a midweek service, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We can tell you how to get here as well as more about the church at calvaryco.church. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 1 Samuel. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.